We love questions. Or maybe we just obsess over the unknown. If we don't know something, we'll go out of our way to find out what, why, how, and who. Loose ends are messy and leave us feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So much of our lives are dedicated to finding answers to questions and making sense of things that seem completely random and arbitrary. Why is the sky blue? What should I have for dinner? What's the purpose of sentient existence? Did I remember to lock the door? Are we alone in the universe? Where did half of my favorite pair of socks disappear to? I'm Christopher Jones. Welcome to Just a Theory. Last time on Just a Theory, we looked at the ways in which music represents a kind of social contract between a few different groups of people. When an audience listens to music, there are always a few expectations that must be met, and if not, there can be consequences. On this episode, we'll examine a concept in music that's a direct extension of this contract. Imagine a cartoonish desert road, a strip of gray running through miles of red landscape punctuated by rocky outgrowths, deep canyons, and an occasional cactus. A cloud of dust appears on the road and moves towards you at a seemingly impossible speed. As this unintelligible cloud passes you, everything freezes. It's a cartoon bird suspended in the air, A line of text appears underneath with a chime from a vibraphone. Birdus Fastius. Roadrunner. After a brief second, time unfreezes and the roadrunner continues towards the horizon. Something else appears on the road in the distance. An unwieldy mass of fur hurtling forward in a zigzagging path by rocket-propelled roller skates. As it passes you, time freezes again. Canis hungrius, the common coyote. Time unfreezes and the coyote continues to a curve in the road, too sudden to maneuver, and finds itself over the edge of a cliff. The rocket-powered skates sputter and die. The coyote, suspended in the air over the side of a canyon, looks at you with fear in its eyes and then slowly looks down. As it sees that there's no ground underneath, the coyote falls, leaving the roadrunner to run another day. When the hungry coyote was in the air, what was going through your head? Were you expecting it to slowly walk over nothing, back to the ledge? Were you expecting it to sprout wings and glide down to safety? Or were you simply anticipating it to fall to the ground? Any of these were probably plausible, it is a cartoon after all, 
But the point here is that you are expecting something to happen. A cartoon canine standing on nothing, defying the laws of physics, was pushing our limit of what's believable. Even for a verbal description of a cartoon. For the coyote to stay in the air was unsustainable, and this resulted in a situation that was unstable. One of the most fundamental social contracts in music is the balance of stability and instability. There are certain sounds that are solid and don't need any explanation or alteration. And then there are other sounds that sort of ask a question. These unstable sounds make us feel like something needs to happen. They set up an expectation with the listener that the question will be answered in some way. How it is answered may be surprising, but there's a basic expectation that it will be. Do you remember the melody from the end of episode 2, where it just sort of stopped without ending? The one that was basically just an incomplete scale. The reason that you wanted to hear more of it is that there was a sense of instability in the last note. Through the lens of music as a social contract, we already talked about why that may have made you feel unsettled or anxious. I set up an expectation and then fulfilled it in an unexpected way. There's a more specific reason, though. Stability and instability in music have more specific names. If something is stable, it's described as consonant, and if something is unstable, it's described as dissonant. We'll unpack that idea some more, but first we have to go backwards a little bit. One common theme that we've sort of danced around so far is about music as a way of communicating. When we say that music can tell a story, that's what it means. Music is a way of communicating things that there may or may not be words for. The other day, I went to the grocery store. I needed a few things, mainly some groceries. It's really cold here now, and I was really in the mood for some chili. I have a recipe that I've been working on for a few years, and I think I've got it down. It involves fire roasting all the peppers beforehand and removing the charred skin. It makes a difference in taste, but it also makes a difference in texture. You know, getting rid of the really fibrous pepper skin that won't really dissolve as the chili cooks. So anyway, I went to the store because I needed some things. I was looking in the fresh produce section for fresh peppers, and it was a pretty slim selection. I guess because it's cold, it can be harder to ship and transport fresh vegetables. I grabbed some jalapenos and some bell peppers, and some poblano and some serrano chilies, and a few habaneros. I like to use one or two habaneros, but I never leave them in for the whole time. You know, maybe I'll post this recipe for all of you, my listeners. So there I was, at the store, and it's around zero degrees outside, and there's probably four, maybe five inches of snow on the ground already, with more in the forecast. 
It occurred to me then that my kitchen is under construction right now, so I can't actually cook anything. So I put everything back and I went to get a burger from a drive-thru. Thanks for humoring me. Let me ask you a question. Was there a point to that story? It's okay, you can be honest. There was really no point to the story itself. Nothing happened. There was no tension or big question other than when is this story going to end? It's a classic shaggy dog story. A long-winded tale with twists and turns, too many details, and no satisfying conclusion. And not in a nihilistic way like in The Big Lebowski. The mind likes to look for cause and effect relationships. This happened because that happened, and then that led to this other thing, and then that other thing makes everything else make sense. Our need for things to make sense is what makes stories interesting. This goes back to the whole social contract thing. In my shaggy dog story, it may have made sense on some level, but nothing really actually mattered. The ending completely negated the purpose of the entire story. There was no narrative thread of cause and effect, and there was no question posed throughout any of it. I never set up much of an expectation, so I never delivered on any expectation. It existed outside of any sort of social contract, and that's why it intuitively registered as, well, completely and utterly pointless. I'm going to throw one more technical term out there. When there's a narrative that can be followed because of a series of cause-and-effect-related events, it's teleological. The word teleology comes from Greek. Telos, meaning goal, and logos, meaning, well, logic. Put together, it's a fancy way of saying something is heading towards a goal, or it has a purpose. A shaggy dog story is a great illustration of something that isn't teleological, just like basically anything on Cartoon Network after 10pm on a weekday. When I was talking about going to the store, there was kind of a purpose, but it was a very superficial one. On a deeper level, it seemed like it lacked a meta-purpose. Why was I telling you this story? Isn't this podcast supposed to be about music? To answer that, by the way, is both yes and no. In my shaggy dog story, it was deeply pointless from the beginning and I even made it superficially pointless at the end, when I realized that I couldn't use my kitchen because it's being remodeled. I guess the point is this. Most of the music that we hear every day has a purpose. Most of it is teleological, meaning that it has ideas that lead to other ideas, and that it makes sense in some way. Effective music gives us clues and lets us put the pieces together ourselves, it leads us to connections that we wouldn't necessarily make on our own and gives us insight into something that we maybe hadn't considered before. 
For something to be goal-oriented, it has to exist in a way where there's direction. Up or down, left, right, backwards, forwards, some kind of path on which it leads us. Think back to the beginning of this episode, when our friend the cartoon coyote was suspended in the air before it looked down, there was a sense of something that needed to be fixed. There was something happening that created a sense of unrest in our minds. There's no way this animal should be resisting gravity and not plummeting down to the bottom of the canyon. There was a sense of teleology in the directionality of up and down and the framework of gravity and the way in which we know it should work within that concept of up and down. When this happened, there was a dissonance created. We know that gravity pulls things down towards the larger object. We could see that there was space between the coyote and the ground. For the story to be complete, the coyote had to resolve the tension created by defying the laws of physics. When this happened, the coyote fulfilled the cause and effect relationship that we needed to see. This is consonance and dissonance. Consonance is stability, and dissonance is instability. Dissonance leads to consonance and connects different ideas. There are a few different ways to express consonance and dissonance in music. If you'll recall, melody is when notes sound one after the other in time, and harmony is when notes sound together in time. Melody and harmony are both capable of expressing consonance and dissonance. That melody that stopped at the note before you were expecting, that was a melodic dissonance. The last note was pretty unstable and left you feeling like it needed to resolve some tension. The music theorist and composer Edward T. Cohn would call that a promissory note. It's a pitch that the audience remembers as being dissonant and unresolved. Often, music resolves around a promissory note and sort of begs the question of how it will be taken care of. Most of you would probably have more experience with dissonant harmony, though. Most every pop song relies on a series of repeating chords. It's been pointed out a lot of times that there are many pop songs that seem to reuse the same chords, and they're often derided because of that. But let's take a look at why the same chords seem to pop up everywhere. There's a hilarious YouTube video that surfaced years ago of a comedian with a guitar. He tells the audience that he used to play the cello when he was younger. He plays a series of chords that he knows and hates because the cellist so famously gets the most uninteresting part in a piece that simply repeats those same chords over and over. That piece, by the way, is a canon by Johann Pachelbel, and if you've ever been to a wedding, I guarantee that you've heard it. He then goes through and matches up countless songs from the past 50 years that all use the same chord progression. Does that sound familiar? A lot of songs use those same chords. 
yes, we can turn up our noses and claim that the writers were just being unoriginal, but should we? Doesn't that series of chords work really well for some reason? The short answer to that is, well, yes, it does. The reason it works so well is because of the way consonants and dissonance work. When we talk about consonants and dissonance as they relate to harmony, to chords, it's not a black and white thing. There are some chords that are really consonant, and some chords that are really dissonant, and then some in between that are kind of stable, but also kind of feel like they're moving somewhere. Because consonance and dissonance is a spectrum. It's a natural force like gravity, where some things are weightier than others. The moon orbits the earth, the earth orbits the sun, the sun orbits something bigger, and so on and so forth. I'm not an astronomer. It's a hierarchy, a system where things are arranged based on importance, or like in music, based on function. It's based on how notes want to lead to and from each other. When the music is dissonant, it sounds like it's violating the laws of gravity. It needs to fall and come to a rest. Effective music plays with our sense of expectation in how dissonance moves to consonance. That's the basic conflict that we listen for and how music keeps our attention. There is music without dissonance, sure, and there is music that is definitely not goal-oriented, but most of the music we come across every day relies on some sort of tension and release to guide our emotional responses and take us on an adventure. This works because we dedicate our lives to figuring things out. It's what we do. If we have a question that needs answering, that's a dissonant feeling. If we have some sort of conflict in our lives or feel like it's missing something, that's unsettling. Again, music is really just an expression of what makes us human. The conflict, the questions, the struggle, but music gives us something that can otherwise be difficult to find. A little resolution. On the next episode of Just a Theory, we'll talk about some of the ways that music develops and grows. If you want to hear more, subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and check out the extra stuff at justatheorypodcast.com. If you have any thoughts on this or any episode, or have an idea you'd like to hear me explore, or a question about music you'd like me to answer, you can send me an email at contact at justatheorypodcast.com, or use the form on the website. Thanks for listening. I'm Christopher Jones, and this is Just a Theory. 